Special thanks to our promotional partners at the American Philatelic Society. The APS is the largest stamp collecting organization in the world, supporting collectors of any level worldwide. For more information about membership and APS services, visit stamps.org. I'm Charles Epting from H.R. Harmer in New York City. And I'm Michael Cortese of Noble Spirit in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. And this is Conversations with Philatelists. Michael, today's guest yes. sort of came to us in a very strange way. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode on counterfeit postage stamps being sold through Instagram and other websites. This yes. story has also blown up since we yeah, uh, since we talked about it. This is something that's become like mainstream news, and we still do want to follow up on it. But yeah. I got a Facebook message from a gentleman who, uh, who lives in Canada mm-hmm. and who was getting targeted Facebook ads for fake Canada post stamps mm-hmm. using the exact same wording as the fake U.S. stamps that we had seen. Yeah. And I thought it was fascinating that now there was like an international component of like intrigue to this story. But then as we Facebook messaged, um, Dr. Greg Redner was like, hey, do you want me to come on sometime or, or would you have me on sometime uh, to talk about Olympic philately? Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, this is amazing that the scam is, is going on in Canada as well. Um, but also, yes, we're coming up on an Olympic year. Yeah. Um, absolutely. We would love to have you on. So. Um, and also, this was an Olympic year because of the off cycle because of the right. the virus. Um, yes. So I thought this would be perfect. Um, I thought uh, so. So again, this this came out of a, a Facebook message about a previous episode. So I'm really excited yeah, to Olympic, um, uh, welcome Greg on. Olympic philately is is huge in the in the topical collecting. Even outside of topical collecting, there's some of the most uh, valuable sets for countries can be Olympic topical. You know that Greece set. That the 1896 like, Greece set yep, exactly yep. what I was thinking of, um, and then obviously you have great sets for the uh, you know the 32 Olympics and yep. all the way up through the modern day. There's still Olympic stamps, so um, yeah, absolutely a, a very active and, and interesting um, part of philately. And I'm excited to have Greg on. Absolutely, yeah. Let's bring him in. Let's do it. Hey guys. Hey Hi. Greg. How are yes, you? Thank you. Thank you for uh, thank you for joining us virtually. Sure, I'm thrilled to be here. I love your background too. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> very, very fitting for our uh, for our conversation. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so I well, Mike, Michael, and I recorded our introduction. I explained to people uh, that you reached out to me about this whole counterfeit stamp thing that is um, uh, quickly spreading to the mainstream news, as yeah. Michael and I have noticed. I feel like this year, uh, you know, there have always been counterfeit stamps, obviously, but this year it really seems to have taken hold. So, um, sure. yeah, it's funny that 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 um, sort of spun itself it, yeah, into. But a, it has. I, it's been incredible that it's hit mainstream articles and we're seeing philatelists share these articles from from newspapers not just philatelic newspapers but yeah, actual exactly. newspapers breaking down i think uh, they even saw these... vice covering it which yeah. you know something's gone mainstream when vice is on it <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah and, no, and none of us like to see anything connected as much as we all have our feelings about the post office and mm-hmm. rates and all of that none of us want to see this kind of thing go on and people get ripped off so of course you know. it's one of those that, yeah we all complain it's sort of like weird analogy but like living in new york i feel like i can complain about it because i live here but whenever anybody else says anything about new york I've yeah. it's like the post office like we complain internally yeah because we all know what goes on but the second yeah other people are Having Trying issues to defraud the post defense. office, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Take up our fists. Um, awesome. Yeah. So, so, so to kick things off, can you just give us um, sort of your philatelic CV, your background, how you got into it, and um, and you sort of your own personal journey? Um, sure. Uh, um, this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I uh, I grew up in New York, and my parents had a 
boat on the Hudson River, which we used to go away with every, you know, for three weeks out of the year uh, during the summer. And when you've got a little, you know, like seven year old boy, you have to have find something in an enclosed environment like that for him to do to keep him from becoming a raging lunatic. And so my mom bought me uh, one of those world, you know, teeny tiny world stamp albums and 300 stamps. And that lit the fire. And um, I, uh, I spent that whole trip, I think, m probably more down in my cabin working on that stamp collection than I did swimming in the pool. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of how it began. And I I collected kind of, you know, like a lot of people do, I collected um uh, in a international kind of fashion very lightly till I was probably about 13. Um, my dad bought me a really good Scott uh, national post album and gave me a lot of his uh, stamps, which was really fun to, to put them in that collection. Um, but somewhere around the age of 15, as much as I loved doing that, I heard of this really exotic place, which was called Newfoundland. Um, and I, I mean, new found land, I thought, wow, this is a really got to be something special. And so I started to collect Newfoundland stamps, um, having no idea, of course, uh, that they were part of Canada um, and being absolutely shocked when in 1948, they all just dried up and went away. Um, and that led me down the rabbit hole into Canada, um, which is where I live now and uh, which, you know, has always been kind of since then one of my primary collecting interests uh, but about 15 years ago I stumbled on some Belgian covers from World War One, um, and my grandfather fought in the American expeditionary force and was in um, Belgium at the time and it I connected with me suddenly uh, and I, I became really interested in the whole um, the Belgium being the battleground of European civilizations and realizing my grandfather had been there realizing that he had been in Antwerp uh, at the end of the war um, and so I started to collect Belgian stamps you know kind of focusing particularly on those that are uh, you know around the 1919 1920 end of the war issue and remarkably I discovered uh, having had no knowledge to this point that there was an Olympics that took place in Amsterdam right after the war one of the stamps of which is behind me um, and because i was fascinated with that particular era i started to study them and that led me into this whole olympic philately thing um, which is still the the number one focus of most of my collecting that's terrific you, uh... it just kind of like snowballed your entire yeah. collecting you just yeah. Yeah. one thing into the other i'm yeah. sorry charles that's it. Were you a sports fan or an Olympics fan before this? What was your, uh, you know, uh, sort of coming at it from that direction? What was your um, uh, interest in the Olympics prior to the philatelic connection? Well, you, you can't grow up in New York and not be a sports fan. Um, and I and I always I always say to people that in an unrelated joke um, that I really true duly I do believe that learning to hate something is an educate is is an, an inculcated um, experience uh, because my dad had been a New York Giants fan in the fifties when the Yankees were at their greatest and I was taught from the youngest possible age to hate the Yankees I had no idea why um, but you know right. I, I just learned Yankees are bad. 
bad and you must hate them. And so, uh, so that, that might, so you can't live in New York without that. You know, um, I, I managed in grade, uh, three, uh, to, to contract the flu right around the time the Sapporo Olympics were going on. And I managed to prolong it long enough that I got to watch because they were only on in the in the daytime. They were, you know, in those days, there were no nighttime, you know, simulcasts or whatever. And uh, and so I got to I got to watch that whole Olympics uh, and was fascinated with it, made sure I was sick when the Innsbruck Olympics came around in 72, um, you know, missed most of whatever it was, grade six at that point. Uh, so, yeah, I love the Olympics. My dad loves sports. We watch them together. Um, I didn't know anything about the connection between the, the Olympics and stamps in those days. But, yeah, it was always important to me as a kid. It was a big deal when it came around. So um, do you mind talking a little bit about some of the first Olympic commemorative stamps and kind of how they came to be? Sure. Uh, well, um, Baron Pierre de Coubertin uh, re-inaugurated the idea that a modern Olympic Games should take place in the form of the ancient Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. um, the first Olympics held, modern Olympics were held in 1896 uh, in Athens. Um, and there was an issue of stamps created for that Olympics. Um, mm -hmm. That was the first uh, Olympic um, issue of stamps. And um, they're still very much collected and uh, very much highly prized. If you right. have a, yeah. a mint set of those, they're really quite, uh, quite something. Um, and then and then the idea kind of fell off. Um, after that, uh, it's not that it's not that when the 19 the 1906 Olympics, um, which are an interesting story in and of themselves, uh, they reissued some of the stamps that had been issued in 1896. Um, but it wasn't until 1920 that anybody actually got the idea, gee, we could use these stamps to advertise the games. And that was an Antwerp. And I feel like that era of philately is when um, uh, people started getting more creative with their marketing and their contrivances and their concoctions and things like that. It seems like the Olympics and, um, you know, it's, that's the time when first flight covers and mm -hmm. naval covers. You get a lot of these um, more commemorative stamp uh, creations, I should say. And do you think that the, the um, sort of rebirth of the Olympics in the early 20th century and this um, proliferation of philately went hand in hand? Um, I do. Um, there, there seemed to be in the early 20th century much more interest in advertising labels to actually advertise the games. Um, you know, there's some spectacular examples of, of this, that 1912, the Stockholm Olympics, they issued a beautiful vignette, a beautiful Cinderella, um, in 16 or I've heard 17, I've only seen 16 different languages, um, which were mailed all around the globe, you know, um, the uh, 191920 is when uh, this all really took off. Um, now, I should say, first of all, nobody who, co who collects Olympic stamps thinks the 1920 issue from Antwerp is a beautiful set of stamps. <laughs> they are they are amongst the least attractive of the of all Olympic stamps ever issued. Um, but what's fascinating about that, there's a story behind why, but what's fascinating about that is 1920 is the first time that 
uh, that advertising cancels were actually used to on a on a large scale to advertise an Olympic Games, um, and so the five largest cities in Belgium, uh, which are uh, you know Brussels, Antwerp, Ghent, Liege, and Charleroi, all the post uh, certain post offices there were given advertising cancels, which were used for a period of about you know six months to advertise the games both nationally and internationally hmm. um so the so the olympic stamps at antwerp are the second series of stamps that were actually issued new uh, but the fascinating part is more the cancels that have to do with it um, and they range you know from like very very common to very very rare um so i might with- be I don't, real quick, were those stamps done by American Banknote, or am I mistaken? They were. Is there um, so a story behind that? There is a story behind that. So, um, you know, if you can imagine um, the Belgian government was not super excited about acquiring the Olympics at the end of World War One. Um, the If you are able to, you know, research this at all and go online, I mean, a large part of the central part of that country was completely destroyed um a lot of the fighting took there took place there um the german government was very very angry they asked uh, king albert at the beginning of world war one if they could pass through belgium on their way to attack france and he famously said i govern a nation not a road the answer is no so they attacked Belgium and basically made the Belgians pay for their choice to not assist them in speaking French throughout the or attacking the French throughout the war. So by the end of World War One, uh, there was not a lot that was left uh, that was usable. And then uh, the International Olympic Committee, because Budapest had been part of the uh, of the opposing side uh, that's where those olympics were supposed to be held they came up with the idea let's hold them in antwerp as a reward for the belgian people um, for their to to recognize and reward their suffering um well the from a philatelic standpoint it's very difficult because the germans had used the printing house in uh Malin as a supply deep depot and had basically destroyed most of the printing equipment mm-hmm. so they so they weren't able to print them there um and so they reached out to uh the enchete firm in um uh, in holland but they were already working on the famous tin hat issue the 1919 commemorative uh stamps that were supposed to signal victory and the victory issue um so they they held a competition to you know put out a competition request and i think waterloo came in second from britain uh, an american banknote company came in uh first um i think much less because the their proposed designs were so great and more because they had the cheapest price um <laughs> uh because money was a real concern and the government wasn't thrilled about having to spend money on commemorative stamps for an olympic games they didn't want so the american banknote company uh, issued three stamps um the first of which is the one behind me which is uh uses uh myron's discobolus 
there's a famous statue that you, if you've been to the Vatican Museum, you've probably seen it. It's very common. Um, and actually, the Discobolus is an interesting subject in itself because that image is used on more Olympic stamps than any other image. Um, mm. I think the last time I counted, it was over 300. But anyway, really? uh, they did. They did that. The committee, the Belgian committee, wanted things to. They wanted to use an uh, an, an antiquarian image. So the middle image was uh, uh, the image of a quadriga or a chariot being pulled by um, four horses, and then the last one was of a marathon runner. Um, they published. They intended to to um, uh, put out uh, 1.5 million of these stamps or no sorry uh, 15 million of these stamps um, 500 um, million of each assuming that they would be a great success hmm. um, at the last minute american banknote said look if you'd like to buy double the order we'll give you a 10 percent break and so they got <laughs> double the order they sold hardly any of them at all uh, because there was a five percent, uh, it was a five cents uh, surcharge on them, which went to a charity that supported wounded veterans. Mm. Well, five cents was a lot of money, uh, and for families recovering who didn't come from means, that meant that they, you know, they had to spend five cents they may not have had. Um, so, not a lot of them were sold. At the end, I think they were. They were only 10% of the stamps were sold. They were left with 90% of their purchase. Uh, and so in the, the kind of ancillary story, they come up with the brilliant idea to overprint them at 20 centimes each. Um, and they sold them through 1931. Uh, so <laughs> it was not the best decision. <laughs> it was not the best decision. Mm -hmm. um, but that even that collecting area outside the Olympics of the those overprinted stamps is a really fascinating uh, because of all the varieties, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. So it became a, a marketing tactic and then a commemorative issue later. Yeah, um, exactly. So how successful was it in actually marketing for the Olympic Games? Um, it doesn't appear that it worked very well. Okay. Um, the, you have to. You Great have idea to, on all fronts. Yeah, that's right. Terrific, terrific. <laughs> let's just, you know, let's let's try something new and find out that it fails horribly mm. across the board. Um, the the a big part of this was uh, you have to remember that Pierre de Coubertin wanted the Olympics to remain amateur. Um, and right. everybody says, oh, well, what a valiant thing, you know, to give amateur organization or amateur athletes a chance because professionals already have it. That had nothing to do with it. He wanted people of noble birth and well-heeled background, gentlemen to do mm -hmm. this. Um, and so, so the, 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 the issue became that the Belgian Olympic Committee was not particularly interested in having a lot of news coverage. They excluded the press from a number of major, you know, uh, uh, events. Um, and so in the end, the press felt very much kind of disenfranchised by mm. all of this. They were angry about it. The tickets were expensive. So the average um, Belgian couldn't afford to go to them. Um, and so it, it really didn't, if you read the report, the Belgian government says, yeah, this was really a very successful event. Um, 
but they seem to, like every Olympics, lost a lot of money, and it doesn't seem to have attracted the, you know, the the press and no, notice that they had hoped for. What it turned out to be was a wonderful example for the international community to see how a war-torn country can rebuild itself, mm. um, you know. And of course, the other side of the coin is it was supposed to be the Olympics of peace, but all of the Austro-Hungarian empires were uh, ostracized and were not allowed to come. So there were, you know, so as it were, peace in the kind right. of pre-modern age way. And, the, and of course, the Germans were uh, treated even more embarrassingly because the spa diplomatic conference which was about disarmament and ways to deal with the riches of the czar valley took place almost contemporaneously with the olympics uh so not only could they not be at the olympics they had to be at this and so you know there's mm -hmm. a i think it was probably a very embarrassing situation once the floodgates were opened by this issue in 1920 how did Olympic philately evolve um, over the next couple of decades? Because you know, you think ahead to the 30s and especially by around the 60s, you have yeah. other countries, you know, non-hosting countries issuing commemorative stamps. What was sort of the um, the, the progression over the years as Olympic philately became more and more uh, commercialized? You could say. Well, the um, I mean, if, if you if you look if you look at the the Olympics that happened immediately after, um, you really get some of the greatest and most beautiful of Olympic issues. So clearly, people noticed that these stamps were, you know, uh, were important might not be the right word, but attracted a lot of attention and countries want to, maybe on some level countries may have wanted to not have their stamps look like the Belgian stamps. So they actually tried to produce them over a longer period of time and not just in nine months. Um, the Paris stamps are amongst the most beautiful four stamps for the Paris Olympics. Um, you'll, you'll recognize them in your mind uh, if you think about it by the fact that almost all of them have hands showing what some feared was the Nazi salute, but actually was uh, the, uh, an athlete in the position to take the Olympic oath um, the Olympic oath had been issued for the first time to the athletes in 1920 at Antwerp. So it was mm. a very, you know, common, uh, a very like tangible site. Um, 1928, the, the, uh, the stamps issued in 1928, there were eight of them from Amsterdam are just absolutely spectacular. Um, they're, they're in a very kind of, um, wonderful kind of Art Nouveau style. Um, they're all different. Um, and, and those are amongst my most favorite of the uh, ever issued up till the 40s. Um, the, um, the LA Olympics didn't seem to, which took place in 32, didn't seem that the, the people managing it didn't seem to think that this was a particularly interesting way to spend time and money. Uh, so as you know, there were only two stamps issued for that, one of which was based on Myron's Discobolus, um, in, in that wonderful blue stamp. Um, 
you know, so as you go on, 36 is the 1936, the famous Berlin Olympics, you know, with the whole issue with Jesse Owens and all of that. Um, they were the Germany was the first company, I or first country, I think, to actually seize on the fact that not only was this a great way to advertise the Olympics, but it also was a way to show the beauty of creating stamps that were striking and and special um and to use postal stationery uh as well to do that so the 36 stamps there there were nine uh issued for that and they're all really really beautiful um one of the things that's most fascinating um the next two olympics didn't actually happen um 1940 was supposed to take place in tokyo um which is not well known amongst you know non-philatelist historians, I guess. Um, but it was taken away from the Japanese by the International Olympic Committee because of the invasion of China. And it was then given to Helsinki. And in Helsinki, of course, 1940, well, the war started in 1939, so that was the end of that. Uh, there's a very fascinating um actual olympics that took place in 1944 um it took place in two german prisoner of uh well the, the yeah german prisoner of war camps um in in poland uh for um allied um officers and they held from july 29th to august 15th of 1944 olympic games in two prisoner of war camps um and there is actually material available for this. Um, they did woodblock carvings printed in five different colors. There are programs available. Um, there are posters available. There's some philatelic, quasi-philatelic material available. Um, and I think what's really great is that it, for that particular one, um, the events were limited to what they had available and mm -hmm. so you get volleyball you get soccer you get tennis you get track and field but then you also get chess as an olympic event um, which is really interesting and there were subsidiary competitions which involved uh, theater and dance and music as well so mm -hmm. it's a really fascinating um topic and there were spectators could buy tickets to come to it so it's very very interesting so modern philately with the olympics how how i was gonna ask is... the same thing yeah are, are you know uh, again you see this sort of uh, proliferation in the mid yeah. 20th century what is the current state of olympic right. philately not in terms of collecting but in terms of producing new material both on a on a governmental end and on mm -hmm. a you know, um, commemorative you know, and consumer end, uh, yeah. end of it. Yeah, the I mean, uh, without a doubt, the consumer end of it is the big is the big driving force. Right, um, right. I, I always think of um, of Mexico City in 1968 as the birth of the modern time of Olympic philately, um, because the they issued 11 stamps for their um, Olympics. And they're graphically very interesting and very beautiful. But kind of, if you think about the World's Fair, you know, the, the Colombian World's Fair, hmm. the problem with the issue is they're a bunch of high value stamps that have zero postal application 
at all. Um, And those were very well sold. Uh, And then I think everybody started to think, gee, uh, you know, people want to collect this stuff and we're getting requests from all over. Um, Let's expand this. Uh, So now we offer more stamps. Other nations offered stamps uh, that were, you know, to commemorate the event. Lots of Cinderella's were produced. Uh, And then we get into the absolutely manic and wild world of um, of cancellations. I mean, most modern Olympic events have a post office set up at every single event that happens. So, you know, if you if you're a, if you're a collector, not only do you have, say, the, you know, six post offices, one commemorative cancel that took place in Antwerp, uh, you have postal cancellations from every single day that an event took place at those. Right. Uh, so, you know, literally there are hundreds and hundreds of cancels and hundreds and hundreds of stamps for every Olympics that take place, um, including a lot of, you know, countries that don't really have any interest in the Olympics, rather they just want to sell stamps to collectors. Um, It makes it a real challenge. I mean, when I started collecting Olympic stamps, I, it was almost still possible to collect only to collect every single stamp issued for every Olympics. You know, um, around 1970, it started to become more difficult. And by the time you get to Montreal in 76, there's so much going on that it's just overwhelming. Mm. There are people there are people that still collect, try to fill every single spot in the albums that are available. And uh, if you're interested in that kind of thing, there are actually a lot of them are downloadable for free online. Um, Olympic, uh, but I think it runs now to five full albums of Olympic wow. stamps. So it's a real challenge. Was it Australia or New Zealand that did the print-on-demand stamps as uh, countrymen meddled? Am I? Uh, yeah, no, I think that I think that's correct. I, I can't I, say for certain. It was uh, in the last couple of years, Michael. Do you yeah. know about this? I every don't. time I, I I I should have looked up who this was, but every time there was a medalist, yes. they would run off a, a new stamp of that person. <laughs> really, so the, I think it, I no think it was fixed, Australia. I think it was. Australia. Yeah, I, I want to say Australia, where again, if somebody medaled in like javelin or whatever, they would issue a stamp of that person like on the day of the medal, so they didn't know how many Olympic stamps they were going to issue. It was dependent yeah. on how many medals the country won and that makes you wonder has this gone too far have we strayed (laughs) you know uh, the the three stamps in 1920 may have been too few to satisfy collectors or maybe too many to satisfy collectors but yeah now it just seems like it's um almost um uh hard to wrap your head around so where do you find your focus obviously the 1920 stamps you said but what is your uh, what is the scope of your collecting and what are you looking for and what still um you know drives you to to dig deeper into olympic philately yeah, sure. I um, so it it goes in three ways. I mean, the serious collecting that I do involves the 1920 Olympics, um, and it's a rabbit hole with lots of shiny things that you jump into. And I, I I'm not sure I'll ever hit the bottom of it. Um, as we were saying, like all of the uh, cancels, you think to yourself, okay, well, the most rare of all the advertising cancels is the number one post office, Ghent one. Mm. Um, from the city of Ghent. Um, and there seem to be less than 20 of those cancels available. It's a fascinating story as to why they why that's the case. But anyway, um, so then you think, okay, well, good. I've got a really beautiful Ghent one cancel. 
And then you an enter it in your Antwerp 1920 exhibit and uh, a judge says, you know, that Antwerp, that Ghent one cancel is really beautiful, but you should probably have one from the first day. And you think, okay, well, I'll do that. And so I got one of those. And then you think, then somebody says, well, it's great you have a first day one, but you know, you should also have a last day one. Hmm. I got one of those. And then last of all, somebody said to me, what about the day the Olympics opened? Do you have one from that? And I was like, all right, that's enough. <laughs> so that part of it is so fascinating and so challenging. Um, but there, but there are other, I was thinking about ways to, to collect. And one of the things that I'm really fascinated with uh, is to collect topically around an Olympics. So, you know, you can collect the stamps. There are three from Belgium. You can collect the cancels. There are 10. Circular date stamp, the special cancel from the Olympic Stadium. That's 11. So now what do you do if you don't care about first day of use, last day of use, you know, important events during the Olympics? And I started to notice that there were an awful lot of recent stamps that commemorated the 1920 Olympics, and like every Olympics, important Olympics. Um, and I, the more I look, the more I realized there were probably a hundred stamps that in one way or another connected to the 1920 Olympics, most of which have been issued in the last you know, 15 years. So that's a real challenge for me. I'm always looking for things that you know, connect to that. And, um, you know, whether it's a, a, a Bulgarian stamp that, you know, or not, not Bulgarian, uh, 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 it's Estonian, an Estonian stamp that commemorates the first gold medal winner that they had, um, or the first medal winner, which is a silver medal. They issued the stamp in silver. It's a beautiful silver commemorative um, uh, and envelope and that happened at the 1920 olympics so if you don't want to spend a lot of money on classic olympic philately you can go that way um, so i really enjoy that the other thing that i've started to do is to try to find which relates directly as we said to the stamp behind me uh, is to try to find examples of myron's discobolus on stamps and cancels and covers um, and it's actually easy to begin with and then much harder as you dig into it um i just recently scored a really rare north korean cancel that uses myron's discobolus which is really interesting and yeah. i i was very excited about that uh you know so that means that it's possible if you want to put together a collection of the three stamps that they issued and the 10 cancels, you can, you can keep going at it without spending a lot of money. Uh, you know, and the challenge is very real because in the modern time after say 68, um, there are so many things issued that in one way or another, one of them is going to have something to do with your topic. Hmm. You know, it's it almost a topical within a topical. Yeah. Uh, so, with the cancels being so rare, has has there ever been any um, issue with forgeries? Um, with the with the Antwerp ones. Well, with with all kind of the yeah, perfect yeah yeah. Um, cancels the, the first days, the different post offices. Yeah, there 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 are some. Um, I my my sense is that at least in the modern time most of them are so common right um that nobody really bothers with it you know only only the people that you 
good gentlemen have been chasing down who are selling bogus <laughs> stamps to nice grandmothers in, you know, in Des Moines, Iowa. Right. Um, but I, I don't think so. But there are, um, like, for instance, in the, in the 1920 overprints for the Antwerp stamps, you can imagine if you've, if, if you take a look at them after, you've got a 20 over both of the original values and then an X to block out the, the actual um, surcharge, which went mm. to the wounded soldiers. So you can imagine on a sheet as it moves, those appear everywhere. Right. Um, the, the most common way that those are faked is the cancel uh, or that the, uh, the overprint ends up at the top. And I've tried to buy eight of those in the last two years. And I always say to the dealer, if you'll pay for a certificate for this, I'll pay for it if it's real and you pay for it if it's not. And in every single instance, it's been overprinted and it's been a forgery. Wow. So even though your focus is on the 1920 games, do you still get a souvenir for yourself every time an Olympics comes around? I mean, you know, was there anything this year or next year that you'll be, uh, you know, adding to your collection just as a, you know, do you stay up to, um, uh, up to speed with Olympic flattery at all, or is it mostly working backwards for you? And, and if I may, do, do they still do the post office for every event? Even yeah, now? they do. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> Which you can imagine. Um, right. I, I, I should, I want to point out, um, in case people don't are interested in this and they don't know about it, um, there's an amazing group called Sports Philatelists International. Um, which is located in the U.S. And some of the great, there are 61 volumes of really carefully, um, you know, researched material. Some of the greatest um, Olympic collectors have written for that magazine and, mm. or that journal. And it's really worth it if you're, if you haven't, um, if you don't know about it, most of the stuff is available, not behind a paywall which is great. Only the last four years, I think, are behind a paywall. The reason I bring that up is because one of the things that's valuable about that magazine or journal is that they publish four times a year and every year or every edition, they will put in all of the new cancels that are coming out uh, related to sports. Mm -hmm. um, and there are always several articles before the Olympics begin on how to go about getting all of the various cancels that take place and all of that. So, yeah, I still try to get a cancel the, the, from the first day of each Olympics from whichever is the rarest post office. Um, but it's just too overwhelming for me. Um, it's not really all that difficult. You just have to be willing to write a hundred, you know, covers uh, wow. to to the post office in each place and ask them to do it, which they always are delighted to do. Um, but yeah, that's a, it's still a very vibrant part of things. And, you know, if you're, I mean, I know I, somebody will show a, a, a cancel from, you know, Roy Campanella's hometown. And I'll be like, how the heck did they find this out? Then I look in, in uh, the sports Philatus international journal and I'm like, there it is right there. Why didn't I pay attention? You know? Hmm. So you, you mentioned um, this great group and this great resource for people. Do you have any other advice for aspiring? Um, mm. You know, is there, is it best to focus on one Olympic games? Would you say like you have with 1920, if somebody has a, a hometown connection or something like that, or, um, you know, is it feasible to try and collect 
stamps from all 124 <laughs> years, yeah, five years worth of games. What would, what advice would you give to somebody who's maybe interested in picking up Olympic philately? So, I mean, most of the, most of the stamps, if they're, if they're not men are very affordable. Um, it's not hard to put together except for some of the higher value ones, but um, it's not, it's not hard to, to put together a used collection of stamps issue, from issuing countries uh, from the beginning. It'll cost you a little bit, you know, until you get in, until you get to the Antwerp one, which, you know, used goes for about 56 cents a stamp. So anyway, so you can do that. And that's quite manageable, I think. Um, collecting every Olympic issue ever uh, offered is daunting if you're going to do it up to today we mentioned mm -hmm. that um you can divide some people choose only to collect summer olympics or winter olympics uh, which cuts it in you know by three-fifths which is great um i know a lot of people who collect postal history and uh that's also another way to go there there are a lot of interesting like for instance 1948 the London Olympics, for some strange reason, issued an Olympic uh, a postal uh, envelope uh, for a flight between Vienna and uh, Helsinki, I think it was. Yeah, Vienna and Helsinki. Um, you know, so there are things like that. You can do aero philately in terms of the Olympics. Um, and like we said, thematically, it works very well. Uh, topically, um, it's particularly, I won't say easy, but it's challenging, but fun and not terribly expensive. Um, there are a couple of people at, at uh, in Sports Philatelist International. There's a man named Mark, who's the president right now. And he has put together a remarkable collection of, of Olympic stamps that have to do with gymnastic uniforms uh, which is remarkable hmm. um so there are ways that you can do that and of course there is the whole topical idea where you collect olympics but you collect olympic rings or olympic torch carriers or pierre de coubertin or something like that um and the the other one of the weirder ones and i don't really understand this one myself is people who collect um the olympic congresses the actual international body of the Olympic committee. That's just way out there for me, but <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, good group of people. And last of all, I feel like this subject is perfectly designed for topical exhibits. Mm. Um, you know, if you're an exhibitor and if you're not, you should be because it's incredibly fun and a real challenge. And you'll really learn a lot about your information. Um, but I mean, you've got medals, uh, and not just medals, but also participation medals. I mean, I can't afford a, a gold, bronze, or silver medal from the 1920 Olympics, but I can afford a participation medal, which is really beautiful. There are programs, there are posters, um, there's you know commemorative stickers, vignettes, whatever you want to call them. Even things like travel passes, um, you know. In, they're, they've been issued regularly in the cities. I'm most fascinated with the Belgian one in Antwerp because they canceled them with Olympic pars or with a Belgian parcel post or what's called a railway cancel, mm. uh, which is my other area of collecting. So um, it's very fascinating. So they work incredibly well for thematic um, thematics as well. And I would just say to people, um, 
don't feel like you have to collect the whole thing, you know, um, start with an Olympic that was, that was meaningful to you. You know, I mean, I think of 72, if I was starting over again, I'd just start in 1972 and collect everything that had happened since, or, you know, your grandmother comes from, I don't know, Helsinki. So you're going to collect, you know, the Helsinki Olympics in the, in the fifties. Um, I think it, you know, there's no rules as you guys say all the time as to what's right and wrong to do it. So I think there's a lot of scope and a lot of breath to do whatever you will find um, meaningful. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This has been really interesting. I've, I've learned a ton. It, it's actually made me want to start collecting an Olympics. I'm not sure which one yet, but it's um, uh, I'm leaning towards 32 LA. Yeah, great. <laughs> which, which I know is a popular one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is. But that I mean, the hardest part about this is we're maybe one of the only collecting areas that, that's probably arrogant and uninformed to say that we're one of the collecting areas where we have to fight olympic collectors for all of this stuff mm -hmm. um, every time a decent cancel comes up there's some olympic collector out there who's trying to you know rob something from a philatelic collector <laughs> you know so right right wow. no this is fantastic thank you yeah. so much for for joining us this all worked out perfectly i appreciate um the note about the the counterfeits and i'm glad it spun off into this conversation as well yeah, me too, guys. Thanks a lot. And thanks for all you do to uh, make a philatelic world real to people. I, and what you're doing is just remarkable. Thank we you. appreciate that. We're having, uh, we're having a lot of fun doing it. And we get, yeah. to, we get to chat with great people like yourself. So this was a lot yeah. of fun. Good. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Michael, which Olympics are you going to start collecting? Um, I don't know. I, I am quite partial to the, to the Japan souvenirs. You know the yes. Japan souvenir sheet, the the strips yep. of four and the nineteen sixty four. That sixty four. Okay, I yep. I do like those. Those are. I those are pretty I went to USC, so I went to football games at the Coliseum, which is where they held the thirty two and eighty four Olympics. Mm -hmm. So okay. I could see myself collecting either of those games. I think yeah. eighty four would be more affordable than thirty two, probably. But there's probably mm -hmm. a ton more stuff as well. Yes. Um, seeing I as I did not realize, it, it dove I didn't realize so they deep. still did a different station for every event. I found that fascinating also. Seems like a little bit of overkill, but also yeah. super cool at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Um, so I, I wonder I really what the prices enjoyed. are like now for, because like modern there must be, well, the prices to get cancels after the fact, like if you no, were to get, if you were to get a cancel for every single of the last Olympics in Tokyo. So yes. the people who mailed in to get cancels for those events, most likely are people who are going to want to hold on to those items right so can you buy them after the fact so can you even buy them where the prices must be we massive because the people who stuff. got them in the first place isn't it china next year it's yeah beijing right for the winter olympics i think we should send out stuff to get canceled we should we should um, um that would be a lot of fun. No, I learned so much from this. I love ones where you and I can just sort of sit back and listen. Yeah. Like, 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 we're, like we're the audience. I don't know. Sometimes it's, a, uh, it's sometimes, um, I don't know. I feel like um, it's more um, like of an insider conversation. Other times I can just sit back and relax. Yeah. Greg's a great storyteller. Yeah. And I feel like I can really enjoy these episodes. And this really falls into that camp. No, I, so. I, I learned a ton. I had no idea because I'd never, I'd never 
dove that deep into Olympic finale. I had no idea it went that. Well, we we first saw the day, occasional last day, thing. Day. Yeah, we see the 1936 Germany, and we we yeah. see these things come up time and time again at you know for sale. Yeah. But I feel like we never sit back and appreciate it uh, as a whole. So yeah, I I really loved this conversation and um, can't wait to uh, to to meet up with Greg at Capex. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to Capex. That'll be a lot of fun. So something else I, I didn't mention to you, but we should probably uh, uh, Please do bring mention. it up again. We should do a live stream next Friday or uh, this will air Monday, this coming Friday. This we coming Friday because your sale is so on the Our sales Tuesday, Wednesday. We should yeah. get back on the live stream. I, I yeah. really enjoyed those. And, you know, we got some great feedback on We've, them. So, yeah, let's, let's bring busy, back the live yeah. stream this coming Friday. Let's not put yes. that off any longer. Yeah, yeah. It's been as things had opened. I, a couple people tweeted at us, and as things have opened up, it's been really difficult for us to get. We've been busy. Yeah, but let's let's busy. start doing that as much as possible, even if we're yes. on the road or something. Let's let's yeah. bring the live. I've, I've got back. a little car mount for my phone. I can just let's do it. I don't know if that's legal or not, <laughs> no, but let's do it. Probably not. Um, uh, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> um, nobody <laughs> called the cops on us. Um, for people who are watching us on YouTube, yep. we are on Google, Apple, Spotify, Podcasts, all the big podcast services mm -hmm. um for people who are listening to us you can watch us on youtube you can see the stamp behind greg that i don't know why people knocked the design i think they're beautiful yeah uh, they're nice. yes. that, i thought it was gorgeous so if you want to see us we're on youtube every week um you can follow michael at michael j court on twitter i am mm -hmm. charles l epting on twitter true um, we have a website flatlypodcast.com where you can see all of our episodes and yeah. if you want to reach out to us flatlypodcast at gmail.com we love listener mail we still get it occasionally it we always do. makes us really happy so we do. uh just check in say hi to us uh you know michael and i enjoy that sort of feedback so um michael again really glad greg reached out to us about yeah. something totally unrelated and then we were able to turn it into an episode but we should follow up with that we are going to follow up with the counterfeit stamps i feel yeah. like everyone's doing all this reporting and running circles yeah, around we're just we we're just up. consuming all this data and this information and, and i sent you a couple it, links yes we're going to make it succinct and easy for everybody to understand yes yeah yeah um, that's what we know the, the links i think the hard work other people have done exactly and, and we'll of course credit them absolutely for the work they're doing exactly michael <laughs> this is a really fun episode man yeah absolutely i will i will see you in a couple of days you're coming down for hr harmer's next auction so yes um i'll see you in the city maybe we can um, even do a live stream from there i could just focus the camera on you we should do a live stream during the auction that'd be fun yeah. <laughs> um no we'll, we'll tweet about any plans yeah, we, we have will. for tuesday we wednesday we'll probably probably throw something up on uh charles's internet died but um mid mid outro but Thank you, everybody, for joining us again, and uh, we'll see you next time.